This production has been brought to you by the Free Lunch Podcast. Unauthorized use and or duplication of this material without express and written permission from the Free Lunch Podcast is strictly prohibited. This show has been brought to you by the Thomas Allen Collection. The Thomas Allen Collection is a men's accessory line designed to attract and capture a variety of tastes with a unique appeal. Thomas Allen strives to produce an extraordinary design to turn a new leaf on fashion for men and at desired occasions. If I told you once, I told you several times on this podcast that um, ladies, get your men a Thomas Allen collection tie. They'll love it. Gentlemen, get you a Thomas Allen collection tie. Uh, BG, don't you own a um, Thomas Allen collection tie? Yes, sir. And they way fly than anything that's already out there. I got a couple of them, so I recommend going out there and getting some of that flay. Yep, Thomas Allen collection. Um, you can reach him at 678-960-9171, 678-960-9171. Thomas Allen, when time or not really counts. Now on to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, a classic. A classic. This love. It's been a long, long time coming. But I know a change don't come. Yeah, I chose the path. The path chose me. It's a love plan. Divide the creeps. Natural high. Window sheet. Up a parallel view. Let the ghetto sheet. BK. And OLA. Welcome to Free Lunch Podcast. My name is Tight Tight, and I have my main man, B-Jeezy, with me. B-Jeezy, what's happening? You already know, this is your boy, B-G-27-Kid. Tight Tight, I got an issue. <laughs> what's the issue today, sir? You thought you was going to get around. I got an issue, bro. I did, but what's the issue? I looked in the mirror, man. I got a gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> So I've, I've been feeling some kind of way all day long. So is it stress-related or is it the, just the simple fact that you're getting older? I believe it's Mother Nature, but I got a remedy for I got two possible remedies for it. Don't tell me you're finna get some of that, some of that cream. <laughs> and <die your heart. laughs> I'm a, I think I might get some of this paint. I had to either do do the LeBron James or I'm going to have to pluck it out. I think you need to. I, I don't know. They say if you pluck it out, that's bad luck. Yeah, I heard that too. I got to make a decision, though. But other than that, man, everything is good on this side. How you feeling? Uh, I'm doing okay, sir, but I mean, we right. have a really, really, really serious topic for the podcast today, and it's something that's really important, especially in our community and in our, um, within our peer circle and just friends in general, uh, it's a topic that's not discussed a lot. Um, you're starting to see more and more of it on, on, on the mainstream media, specifically, I remember seeing an episode on, on Empire, for those that watch Empire, and that saw season one, uh, they did a show on it. They may have even did a show on Scandal or some of the other mainstream shows out there. But I think it's a topic that I really want to introduce to our free lunch family um, and to the listeners because it's rarely discussed in our community. And that and that's a topic of mental health. What I do, I see a lot of um, a lot of mental health cases, um, a lot of actual patients and their family members going through the process and all of the things that the different mental health conditions bring about. Um, and so um, the statistics will tell you that there are about roughly 43 million Americans age 18 or older that are dealing with some type of mental disorder. So that's like one out of every five adults. 
So that right there tells you that it's common and it's actually more common that we actually give credit for. Um, so that means that there are a lot of people that we're interacting with on a day to day basis that they're dealing with something on the inside and you may not ever um, know it. And then another fact is that the highest age group um, based off of the National Institute of Health is like people that are ages 26 to 49. Hmm. So that's a demographic that we're talking to. That That's us. That's our peer group. But we know that in our community, you and I can speak specifically to the, the black community. Uh, we don't talk about mental health. Mental health has a terrible stigma. You don't want to be labeled. Family members will shun family members that might be dealing with it. I can remember times um, I had friends that they had a family member that, you know, had had some type of psych illness. Mm -hmm. um, and that person had a whole different wing of the house mm -hmm. that nobody ever, you know, nobody ever really was, was privy to, to interacting with that particular family member. So um, it's a big deal. I mean, it's something that we need to really increase awareness about for us as we are in different aspects of living. We need to know about what these um, disorders can look like, what people may be dealing with, and then kind of understand what our role is as friends and family members and health, health professionals or whatever capacity we're in. What can we do to, to help those that may need some assistance from us? So today we may have two special guests. You said two things that are important, though, that you just noticed. I mean, that you just said, what was the number that you gave for uh, America and the mental health number? 43 million, age 18 and older. And you said, what's the what's the percentage, I guess? Percentage is, that's what, 20%, one out of five. One out of five, 20%. But the interesting part of that is, you know, that's America. But I'm pretty sure if you look at it, you know how this is. Uh, when when America has, has a cold, black America has pneumonia. That's the common kind of analogy that's used. So... Even when it comes to mental health, I wouldn't be surprised if that number was disproportionately higher uh, for our community and our peer group, uh, which is a reason that I think we need to have this conversation. But then secondly, um, you know, especially coming from the South, and you kind of touched on this when you talked about our friends and our family, but coming from the South, um, you know, if we ever speak on mental health issues or in our community, or we say something, they say, it ain't nothing wrong with you. You just need to go to church and pray. And so we very seldomly right. even take this idea of having a mental health issue or, or what have you seriously. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, I know we have two special guests that I would like for you to, to introduce to the audience and allow them to really speak on something that's rarely talked about in our community. So today we've got Laura and Carmen. Um, they're joining us um, all the way from Houston, Texas, and they are the founders of Live Beautiful Now. Um, and Live Beautiful Now is a nonprofit organization that is geared towards promoting awareness. Um, they provide public education and information for women suffering from bipolar disorder, their families, supporters, and uh, through emphasizing the symptom recognition and minimizing stigmas and prevention of suicidal thoughts, they're using this platform to do exactly what we're talking about, is just raising people's level of consciousness about this, the impact that it has, and what we can do um, to uh, support those that might be going through uh, bipolar disorder. So, Laura and Carmen, welcome to the Free Lunch Podcast. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you. It's truly an honor to have you all join us today. We've heard a lot of great things. We've seen a lot of great things with your website and some of the other projects that you'll be talking about today. Uh, we'll just jump right in and give you an opportunity to tell our listenership 
um, about Live Beautiful Now and, and what, what type of work you all are doing? Well, first, um, thanks again for having us. But Live Beautiful Now um, is really dear to Carmen and I because um, my sister, who was diagnosed bipolar in um, 2003, and when she was diagnosed, no one told us what exactly it meant. They didn't give us exactly the definition or even that it was a lifelong diagnosis. So from 2003, 2011, Latrice ultimately committed suicide. And because we were unaware of resources that were available and we were unaware, we never heard anyone's story on bipolar. Of course, we always hear the, you know, the jokes thrown around. Oh, they're just bipolar, whatever. They're just crazy, whatever. You know, we never took it seriously to understand what truly it meant until it was too late. So Live Beautiful Now came about to make sure that other individuals don't have to experience what we did by us sharing our story and letting individuals know that there are resources um, available out there. There are other uh, nonprofits um, as such as NAMI, National Alliance Mental Illness, that provide support groups as well as provide um, groups that help educate the family behind the scenes and everything. So we're basically kind of like the middle person that wants to make sure that we Tap on anyone who is interested, anyone that needs to hear about it, anyone that's struggling so that they know that they're not alone and it's okay to speak about it. And, and you know, it's not a uh, failure on who you are. It's just a clinical diagnosis as diabetes would be to someone as well. Um, Carmen, did you want to add anything to that? I definitely want to add that bipolar disorder is a treatable condition. I think definitely when we uh, heard that Latrice was diagnosed, it was basically, you know, she's diagnosed and, and there's no, there was no pamphlet, there was no information, there was no sit down as far as what would be the next steps because it is, it is a life changing, a lifelong kind of, you know, change of, of your lifestyle and the family and support group has to be behind it. So we definitely want to tell people know that it is a, sim- it is a symptom that is treatable um, with the right medication, the right peer and support groups. So I think a lot of people kind of forget that. Bipolar disorder is one of the number one mental illness uh, following depression, and depression is a mental illness in the United States. So our main purpose of our organization is to really kind of go through the symptoms, kind of explain, you know, what to look for, and really kind of educate the, the people and the public to get checked. If you see a family member or if yourself, if you're seeing that something is not right, that you definitely can get treatment out there because it is treatable. What What are the symptoms, and this is for either one of you, what are the symptoms of bipolar? Because I know where I come from, and, and I'm pretty sure in most communities, we'll label a young person um, or we'll label someone either either with ADHD, oh, he just got ADHD, he need to go sit down somewhere, or we'll label them with, uh, oh, they just bipolar craziness but really not having no type of medical understanding of what of what bipolar is. Right. Bipolar disorder is basically just, it's a manic depressive illness that it affects kind of your brain. It affects your mood swings, um, your energy levels. So it's basically kind of affects the ability to carry out any type, type of day-to-day task because it does affect your mood and your energy. So what we call, there's different types of uh, the, there's a manic episode and then there's kind of like a, a depression episode. So during a manic episode with some of the symptoms is kind of, you know, your thoughts are kind of pacing all over. Um, you got a kind of a long period of like highs and you're kind of very happy, very outgoing, but you can also be extremely irritable, you know, have a, uh, irritability on, on your performance. 
But some of the things you have to look for is really kind of the bad swing of that is when you have your depressive, uh, depressive episode, which is really kind of a long period of being depressed. Everybody gets depressed, but it's kind of looking at that it takes a long period of feeling sad, feeling hopeless. Um, and then there's also kind of a lot of behavioral changes. So lack of sleep, um, lack of inability to be able to interact with others. Your thoughts are kind of racing all over the place. Um, an excessive use of drugs, excessive use of kind of um, your sex, your sexual behavior, sexual needs kind of go higher. So you're changing in eatings and habits. So it's a lot of really behavioral changes. And one thing about bipolar disorder is that with the right medication and the right treatment, it kind of has to take different kind of give and takes on the right medication to really offset and balance those mood swings. And that's basically kind of the positive part of it, that once you kind of find the right medication and the right support group, you can definitely balance those mood swings out and you'll be able to recognize when you're going into those manic episodes or depression episodes. And it's really just to balance that out to be able to continue a living life. Unfortunately, there's no medical test to diagnose bipolar disorder, which was very confusing to us when we did ask questions. However, the psychologist and psychiatrist or other trained mental health professionals can diagnose this disorder by conducting a face-to-face clinical interview. Um, the treatment options, there, there are various treatment options, and we, we, we first want to put out there that we do not, we are not saying we're diagnosing someone. You know, we don't want anyone coming to us saying, oh, well, we heard this, and so we just figured. No, we just basically want to get the conversation started and make sure individuals look out for signs like this, whether it be themselves or someone else, just so they do seek um, treatment or professional help. The treatment options that exist are um, psychotherapy, Going to the psychiatrist and having those. Yes, basically. It's a talk therapy, basically. Um, And also taking medication. A lot of individuals get um, sidetracked or they don't like to hear the medicational part of it, which we did have a bad experience on that. But with that, the problem is if individuals will just take and heed and understand that this is a process and some people's cocktails come out great the first time and sometimes they don't. And if you're open to just wanting to seek treatment, if you're open to wanting to be um, in a better place, then usually these doctors or these psychiatrists, these counselors, they will find the best thing that's for you. It's basically an individual accepting the diagnosis. That was one of the hard things that we dealt with with Latrice, my sister. And that's one thing that we try to push is once you accept this diagnosis, you can live a day-to-day living. You can actually, you know, function and just be as what someone would say normal, but who's normal anyway? You know, that's one of the things that we try to push is don't feel like this is a flaw in your character. You know, this is something that people have to deal with just as someone else would have to deal with a broken leg or whether it be heart disease, whether it be cancer. It's just something that you have to get a treatment for either way. And that's that's very true because in, in, in reality, most of us on some level or another are dealing with some type of psychiatric disorder, depression, anxiety. And what happens is it's just other people have different means of handling or coping or adjusting to that thing. And sometimes it will require that combination of psychotherapy and and medications to get a person to where they need to be and be effective in day-to-day life. And I got to speak to the medications. Like she said, there's no no lab work. There's nothing that you can use objectively uh, to, to diagnose. It's really just evaluation. And so with that, the medications, a lot of times, is 
can be somewhat of like, we're going to try this medication, we're going to try this dose, and if that doesn't work, we'll try something else. And it may take a little bit longer to find that combination that works for that particular individual. And I think that's where the support system comes into play a lot of times is having someone like she like she just talked about is just kind of making a person understand and look at that spectrum uh, from a from a different vantage point. That's a good point because I think that it, that is something that Latrice really felt hopeless and that's when we come into the suicide part of it because unfortunately just like any medication that you take it always gives you different side effects so you also have to be the family that's around it or the friends or anybody that the individual that is diagnosed experiences, if someone is experiencing suicidal thoughts or any type of changes, those are things that you have to tell your doctor. You definitely have to connect with the, the right doctor. And that's one thing that we learned the hard way because you want to kind of feel that confidence and feel that connection with the doctor. Definitely get a second opinion. But unfortunately, medication does, uh, does help, but it does bring those side effects. So it's really looking for the medication that decreases the side effects the less and also kind of um, kind of look for those warning signs and red flags if it's something that individually you're not feeling right, but also be open to express that because that's only going to help with your recovery. If you don't mind, either one of you don't mind, I would like to kind of um, kind of personalize this particular topic. Um, we've spoken about Latrice, but we really haven't provided everyone with a face. So well, I, what I would like for you both to do is kind of give some perspective as to um, who Latrice was, um, what were some of the symptoms you saw as she was growing up, um, and how old was she uh, when she actually got diagnosed in 2003? Well, Latrice is, um, she's my, she was my sister, and she was diagnosed in 2003, and I remember the first episode that happened that we had no clue what, what was happening. We were out of town, and... I remember all of a sudden she just became very aggressive and racing thoughts and she just wanted it her way. Now, mind you, Latrice, she was very strong willed. She was always the life of the party and she didn't take no for an answer. So this was something that I just kind of thought, okay, maybe this is just her feeling a little different tonight. And she's like, we're going to do this. But looking back at it, these thoughts um, became more and more racing, and then she became she became a little bit um, uh, not in touch with uh, reality. So this was the beginning of like a whole nother world for us. To say that someone that was well educated went to school, college graduate, she was her own um, real estate broker, had her own company, Latrice Bell Real Estate, and to see a, such a change in a person like that. Um, it kind of threw us off. We had no idea what to do. And I think that's where some of the common sense things as to what we were supposed to do fell off as far as like the resources coming into play. When she was actually diagnosed, she was in her uh, early 20s, uh, mid 20s, actually. So adding to that, um, she committed suicide. She unfortunately was at the age of 33. So there really wasn't anything. I know sometimes with bipolar disorder, it could be something that could be genetically passed on from a family member. But up to that point in that trip that we were actually in Miami, we really hadn't seen anything that would kind of give us like a, a second thought of, of her behavior until that trip. Now, after that trip, she did have incidences where, you know, she was drinking heavily or she would just kind of, you know, spend a lot of money. And those are the things that we're, we're proud that the show Empire is bringing that up. 
because it, it, it shows on one of the episodes, one of the characters that is diagnosed, he just goes off and starts spending a lot of money. So we would just thought that these were just kind of normal things. She also went through a longer depression, depression moment. This goes back into when she first diagnosed, no one really explained to us what the symptoms were and what to look for. So prior to that, when we did see that, it was more of, oh, okay, she's depressed. Everybody gets depressed. Everybody gets sad. So she did have those symptoms prior to um, us really kind of understanding what we needed to do as a family to really help her. And I think that was one of the things that people really need to look for because going back into what it is, it is a mood disorder, really kind of look at your, your normal behavior, if it's something odd, if it kind of makes you wonder you're not acting or feeling correctly on how you really behave on a normal basis, on a regular day-to-day with activities, and that's something to kind of look for. During that, that period when you started observing these, these changes, um, were there some conversations that were going on that might have let you all in on some of the things that she might have been going through internally, or was she kind of quiet about it and not really talking much about those situations? I think honestly, when she was diagnosed, we kind of just kept it moving. Like we never really brought it up until she really had a manic episode, which I want to say, Laura, it was like five or six years later, really 2010. So about in those seven years, we we go back into, you know, she was the social life of a party. She was very respectful in her profession. She was very outgoing, very bubbly. So she kind of maintained that besides the moments of feeling depressed, depressed or feeling sad, you know, she went through a breakup and we were like, oh, she just went through a breakup. And it just, you know, when we would go out, I did notice I would usually go out with her um, pretty regularly. And then we would go drinking, but then she would always drink a little bit heavier on some days. But I just thought we were young. We were in our 20s out of college. No thought to it. And then also, um, I don't know, Laura, if there was any other factors, but those looking back and looking back on what the diagnosis was after, those were definitely kind of moments of episodes that she was having either a manic or a depressive episode. So after she got diagnosed and they kind of told us, oh, she just needs to take medication. They didn't really explain to us that this is something that we need to monitor and help her and support her. So we just kept it going for those seven years into 2010. That's when she really hit rock bottom. Well, we definitely had to bring her to a psychiatric hospital And then after that, it literally took, you know, six or seven months that she just couldn't recover or accept in the fact of the medication and and us understanding what she was going through. So it was very fast when it came to the actual diagnosis um, when she had that second episode. That's a lot. (laughs) It's heavy. It's it's, it's very heavy. But you said that Latrice was 23 back in 2003? No, she was 25, I think, Laura, at 2003. She passed away when she was 33. So I think one thing looking back after, unfortunately, um, during that six or seven months when she was going back and forth in medications is that we really kind of started acting different ourselves because we really didn't know how to act. So one of the things that we do want to advise people is that you act as normal as possible. You continue doing your regular routine. And I think she could sense that we would kind of be kind of like in our tippy toes because we really didn't know what she was going to be. And I think we probably should have been a little bit more guided into, hey, you know, this is something that I think that kind of made her feel a little bit more pushed back into the condition. So we wanted to really advise people to say, you know, if you do have a family member or yourself, whoever's around them, just really act, treat them the same way, just like any anybody else. Don't really 
change anything because they can definitely sense that reaction from you and it kind of makes them feel a little bit more that they're a bothersome. During that this time, um, mind you, like I said, she was kind of going into the top of her career with wanting to sell these luxury homes. And she had a clientele that she figured if someone found out about me and what I'm dealing with, knowing I was in a psych home or something. And, and honestly, she doesn't really remember some of these episodes like she didn't really get it. So that was another part of the denial. But mind you, some somebody accepting and saying, hey, I'm trusting one of the biggest purchases or one of the biggest moments in my life to someone who is diagnosed bipolar. She couldn't wrap herself around to, to th- feel that someone could actually accept that. And the same with her relationships as well. So this took a real toll on her as far as pushing her deeper and deeper into the depression. And the sad thing is, I didn't understand that, you know, everything that she was saying to me, because all I knew was life in her and everything she was telling me at this point was was no longer life because she didn't feel it anymore. She felt like, well, I'm worthless. You know, no one's ever going to accept me like this. And in the end, you know, she actually did what she said she was going to do. She committed suicide and everyone was left shocked. Like, what? Who? Who is this person? We never saw the signs, even friends and family. Like, no one knew. It was only a handful of us that actually knew what was going on. So when this happened, people were shocked to know that someone like that was like, that Latrice, who love life, well-traveled, everything. I have to express that because a lot of people stigmatize bipolar disorder as someone crazy, maybe homeless, you know, someone that just, you know, doesn't have it all together there. Well, she did, and that's the problem. There are so many people that are struggling right now and dealing with that on their own, and you then you hear about, you know, them committing suicide, and you're like, what happened? You know, where did this come from? And this is like one of the stories that we want to make sure that individuals know. And then when you see her face and you see her picture, you're like, wow, you know, that that could be me. That could be my friend. That could be my my mother or whoever. And we just want to make sure that people understand that it's not a face, a religion. It's not a specific person that could actually go through with an act like that. And it's not because they don't love life. It's because it's a chemical imbalance that's in the brain that has to be treated. And the good thing is there is treatment for it. That's well said because one of my early jobs was at a a facility that that had a, a mental health component to it. And prior to going to work there, I was a little leery about going there because of the psych and then not really having... Um, a full amount of direct contact with that particular patient population, I had already in my mind made up what this was going to be like. It was going to be zombies on the floor. It was going to be people climbing the walls and all of the extreme um, faces of that type of mental illness. Um, But it wasn't until I actually got in there that I started to see that these are the same everyday people that you pass by in the street, that you go to church with and all that type of stuff. So it really taught me that you really can't really just go by what's going on the outside or come with all these assumptions and the, and stigmatize the situation because you never really know what's going on on the inside with the person. I think that that comes to a lot of the awareness that we want to promote. And that's why we created the organization is because we ourselves were also kind of judgmental on when you say bipolar disorder or any really mental illness on physically how a person should look. And that's something that we learned that that was something that, I mean, these are, these are treatable conditions. These are people that work, you know, normal lives. And so there isn't really, there's different type of mental illness, but when it comes to bi- just bipolar disorder, I mean, these are people that are, are your friends, your next door neighbors. So we definitely need to 
address that when, when people call or have the stigma about, oh, someone being crazy or being in a mental institution, it's really, I want to say more, you know, the creations of movies or creations of what it see because it's really portrayed in a negative side. And we always come across people that are bipolar disorder. They come to us and they thank us for sharing the information because really the picture that's being portrayed on a negative, there's a lot of positive, successful people that are bipolar disorder and have depression and you would never have guessed. So that's a good point that Laura made that we, Latrice made us promise to not tell anything to anyone. And looking back, I think that's something that we do recommend for people to, once the person is able to accept it, to not be ashamed to express that that's what you have because you're going to create a very positive support group and it's going to kind of feel more welcoming into what you need to look for and just be in a, in a successful lifestyle. Uh, so you mentioned that Latrice, you know, you you all saw the first instincts in, in, in Miami. Um, and, and then from there, <clears throat> I guess you all kind of had it, were able to, take her to to see a doctor or to see someone who how do you how do you recommend or what is your your thoughts on um taking someone to the to the doctor to, to see a doctor or to see someone that can kind of diagnose um an individual i think um the the first thing is you know hoping that you do have that open relationship with a person like that because sometimes most of the times they are in denial but the easiest thing would be it would be to go to your general general doctor and then get referred um referred over to someone else they do have inpatient outpatient facilities we have information on our website um that you can also go in as well and basically you can go in um, if you're under 18, you have to be with an adult to sign you over. But if you're over 18, then you can go as yourself and you can just tell them, hey, you know, I would like to come in and they can offer you treatment as inpatient or outpatient where you just may go for the day. Um, but usually you can probably just easily start off with just going to your, to your general doctor and expressing the concerns that you have and then have them refer you over. So if I see someone, so in the case of like, for example, Latrice, is that something that one of you went with her? In our case, Latrice was in manic episode. So what we had to do was go to the ER. And unfortunately, they get flooded at the ER with um, mental illness issues and that's where the uh, inpatient outpatient facilities come into place as far as taking them to the ER they usually prefer you take them to the inpatient outpatient facilities the only problem with that is because she was of age they will only allow you to um, admit her if she admits herself um, and or if she's a threat to society or herself so a lot of people resort to the ER. So in our case, she was not able to, you know, go to the doctor um, by herself on the initial um, the initial setup of her with the manic episodes and everything. Now, after that, prior to that, we did do the follow up visits and one of us was always with her. We never let her go alone because whatever she expressed, sometimes it would be different from our point of view. And we wanted to make sure we expressed it to them as well. So, you know, we can understand what the doctor was saying and she can understand um, what the doctor was saying. And that's where we go into saying get a second and third opinion, because the doctor that we dealt with was not a great doctor. We did not get the best um, the best from him because the day before Latrice committed suicide, we actually took her to the doctor and he prescribed the pill and sent her home. 
So that was the last of that. So that when we stress that, you know, hey, if you don't feel comfortable or if a family member doesn't feel comfortable, the only thing is to us is we're thinking the doctor knows best. Hey, we should be okay. I would have figured he would have sent her to the ER. He did not. He said, take this pill. The thing is with taking the medications, usually it takes about two weeks to get in your system. So he told us she was high functioning enough and she probably would not do it like his other patients. And he sent us home. And then the next day, um, yes, we had a sad story. When she was having to go to these appointments and these follow-up appointments, what was her feeling about going to see the doctor? Um, Some days were good days because we had got on a good routine of her saying, hey, I don't like the way these this medication is making me feel. And I'd be like, well, let's call them and change it up. You know, I was making sure that I was there listening and then we would call them or we'd go in and she'd be fine. It was more so towards the end when um, her depression, I guess it kind of continued on. She felt like she couldn't function. The medication started making her feel a little bit more lower and more zombie-like, and she couldn't function on trying to get her workload done. And I think that that was the thing we kept trying to tell her, you know, just take a break from work right now. Take a break. But she couldn't. She she was, you know, she was invested in what she did. And she just felt like if I don't, if I'm not able to do what I've been doing my life because of this part, you know, she felt like it was, what's the point? It was worthless. So in the beginning, I think she was hopeful. And then it just kind of took a turn for the worst. And, and I remember the last few times we went, I almost felt like I was in the twilight zone because I'm expressing my concerns. You can kind of see Latrice's face starting to turn. Her face was starting to sink in a little bit. I hate to go in depth with it, but I wish I would have seen these signs more clear before because now looking back, I'm like, my gosh, I saw it in her. Like I saw the life coming out of her and I didn't realize it because all I'm listening to is these doctors telling me that, hey, take this pill. Okay, let's switch it up and do this at this point when sometimes they kind of just went with what she said. And, and a lot of times with bipolar disorder, you're able to be very manipulative. So some of the things that she came and she said at her doctor's appointment she made clear sense. But then when we would leave, she would flip, you know, and be like, well, you know, I'm not taking that. I don't want to. But she would tell the doctors exactly what she knew that they wanted to hear in order to keep her going. So it's I mean, it's a tricky, you know, um, diagnosis is a tricky bipolar is very um, they still are doing research on it. They still don't get it. They still don't have complete questions. The main thing is acceptance. That's why I say acceptance, because the trees had somewhat of acceptance in the beginning, I feel. And I think that because things kind of took a turn with not being able to get her cocktail right, I think the depression just kind of took over and she was not able to snap out of it. And then us also altering our lives around her, making her feel like, you know, things have to change. So, yeah. So in the beginning, it was good. And in the end, it just kind of it just kind of took a turn for the worst. What what are some of the questions that sh- that we should be asking a doctor in the event um, is 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 us or or as a loved one? Um, just from your experience, what are some of the direct questions we should ask? Number one, really be upfront with uh, the individual with the symptoms that they're they're feeling. Everybody feels a different way, um, so definitely kind of look at the warning signs of the the episodes. You know, how long did they take? What is it? The routines that the the people are really going through. But I really think the main thing is the medication component of it, just because we have um, we have found individuals that it just really takes the right medication. So I think one of the main questions, it's really 
um, asking the doctor the symptoms individually. What is it that, you know, express the symptoms that they're experiencing? So then the doctor will be able to assess specifically, you know, which medication to give. But also um, really ask questions as far as like, what does this mean for me now? Is this something that's going to, you know, do I need to change my lifestyle? Do I need to get the support group? Do I need to let my family members know, my friends know? Because once the diagnosis is there, um, once you kind of explain the symptoms, which is definitely kind of what to look for, the behavioral changes, the doctor is also going to be really quick at assessing what needs to be done. But therapy is also a good component. So really ask, you know, how often do I need to go to therapy? Um, is therapy going to help me? Do I need to, you know, bring a family member? We always definitely recommend to have someone there. Because I think at the end of the day, looking back, you really need that support group. And I think that's what she sensed from us, that we kind of kept it secluded and hidden. And just when we were around people that didn't know that she had this diagnosis, it really kind of made us act a little bit more different. So I think if people knew, and just a simple kind of like, this is something that, you know, you're diagnosed with, you can live very well with it, you can control your symptoms. So some of the questions are really more into that support group and more knowledgeable as far as just letting people know that that is what you have. As far as the symptoms, just specifically what the, the, the individual is feeling and what they're going through, and really kind of when you're going to that back and forth with medication, really explain to the doctor, really find that comfort level with that specific doctor, and really let them know what you're feeling and what that medication is making you feel. Don't ever hold anything back. So you have to be very open as far as what you're, what you're feeling and the side effects, because that's really going to determine on the right path of what they're going to make you do. I always tell people, um, my patients and all, is to, to do your homework. Um, and that's the, the actual patient and the family members around it. Because unfortunately, in a lot of these situations, in the institutions that you rely on, uh, i.e. the doctors and stuff, we, 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 we are very confident and we, we put a lot of trust that they're going to give us all the information that we're going to need, all the tools that we're going to need for success. But unfortunately, there are cases to where um, the doctors are really not tapped in fully to what they're doing. And so my recommendation for everyone is get as much information that you that you can get on your said situation. And when you go to these appointments, make those physicians and those providers work. Ask them questions. Um, get as much out of them as you possibly can. And, and, and don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to, to let them know um, the complete and total truth. And don't be afraid to find you another provider. Definitely do your homework. And I think the main thing is don't feel, don't feel ashamed. Uh -huh. I mean, everybody's diagnosed with, with something different. You know, everybody, um, everybody has something. So I think once we, I think one of the main things for our organization is really breaking that stigma by talking about it and by letting people feel that it's okay to have this diagnosis because it is treatable. It's not something that the suicidal part of it was something that unfortunately we experienced. It's very kind of rare cases, but it does happen. So I think for us, it's really bringing the aware that if someone is saying, I don't feel like living anymore, or I'm feeling suicidal thoughts, those are really kind of warning signs that they give. It's not something that they just wake up and do. It's something that they, they kind of leave little, little trails, little, you know, here and there. So you have to be very cautious and listen and really take all that very seriously. But looking back, it's really just kind of finding the right doctor, getting that support group. And it's definitely something that, you know, you can definitely, 
make it happen with a good living lifestyle. Laura, you got something you want to add? Keep a journal just so you can understand how you're feeling, what caused this this moment, what caused the trigger on this one. We we definitely emphasize stress management, finding a hobby, finding something that you like to do, um, you know, going for a run, exercise, you know, find something that puts you in a zen state where you're not always tense and stressed about anything because stress is a main trigger for those episodes to happen. So journalizing and understanding, you know, how you react to different instances in your lifestyle will also help, um, help kind of maintain as well. Just to add with bipolar disorder, there's really episodes. So you can, you can have a prolonged episode without really not having any symptoms. And, you know, so I think really managing the episodes managing when you know that, you know, you're, you're behaving a little bit different or you're, or you're depressed. Once you know how to monitor that and be able to balance that, I think that's definitely a key in its success because that's really going to be kind of, you know, moving forward into recovery. We definitely want to tell people that this is stages that you go through, but recovery is real. And this is something that we're very happy when we do events and we come across and speak about the awareness that we come across a lot of people that, um, that are thankful for expressing that. And I think the number one key is to really talk about it. That's why we're very thankful that you guys have us because talking about it is really going to open the forum to really educate yourself on what not to do and what to do when those situations arise. And that is true. It's one out of, you know, four or five individuals that are diagnosed with bipolar disorder on a national level. Bringing the story um, full circle, we talked about kind of what the treatises uh, process was, and she she dealt with the the um, bipolar disorder for uh, several years. Can you talk about um, a little bit about the maybe the days or the hours um, around the April twentieth, two thousand eleven? Yes, um, I actually uh, I remember it very well. Um, leading up into it, I remember. I mean. She basically started off probably like a couple of weeks, maybe about a month of, you know, she just wasn't feeling good. She wasn't feeling, you know, happy. You could tell she was down, you know, but she, you know, kept pushing on. And then maybe the next week she would express more feelings of worthless, like it got worse each progressively each week. And, you know, by her telling me this, as I said before, I felt, okay, well, we're on a roll of doing something because she's expressing these feelings. And that's why we push, you know, if anyone expresses anything that you need to seek help. And if help is the only place to be at the ER, then these individuals need to be at the ER because there's a possibility she still could have been here. But in my eyes, I feel like this was just a blessing in disguise because other individuals are dealing with the same thing. And, you know, just, just happened to be our calling to share our story. But leading up to it, as I said, the week of, I remember, um, we took her maybe the week before we took her bowling and we were like, okay, we're going to do something. We're going to make this fun. We're going to get her out. And she was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And I remember her bowling. And every time that she messed up, I remember her just being so angry with herself. And I'm like, this is not my sister. This is not her at all. Like we normally laugh stuff off onto the next thing. So the day before I remember being at work and I was like, oh no, I'm taking off. When she said, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do it. One thing that I do remember is um, after doing a little research is a lot of individuals that are planning to commit suicide have a plan. 
if they say it the first time, it's not normally going to happen. They're actually planning it out. Latrice had a journal and she had everything planned out from her bank accounts, from her cars, from her house, from everything that needed to be laid out to her funeral arrangements planned out before she did what she did. So there was time in between, but by us not understanding and knowing, you know, we didn't get it. So I left the day before, took her to her doctor, and the doctor, he actually was using vulgar language as if that was going to make her snap out of it or something. I remember her eyes kind of looking like, whatever, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. And I remember her her face, she had like tears rolling down her eyes, but there was it wasn't like she was crying. It was almost like lifeless, and I'm looking like, all right, we're going to go get this pill. And you say she's going to snap back. She didn't even want to do that. She was overtaking medication at that point. And um, as I said before, the next day, she actually was happy-go-lucky. She called me. She sounded like everything was back to normal on the day of. I'm coming to get my hair done. I'll be up there. Great. I was like, okay, all right. I got my sister back. And um, a couple of hours went by. My mom was like, have you heard from Latrice? I'm like, no, but she's supposed to be coming up here. And everybody's kind of like, you know, I kind of just brush it off. Like, no, she sounded fine. We're good. And we could not get a hold of her. And as the day progressed, um, we kind of, we got nervous, you know, and then we sent someone to the house and it, it just, it is what it was. We actually have a book out another day with her that we wrote our story um, full on into details about everything, you know, from the beginning to the end and then going into our organization um, as well. And I think it's a, it's a great, great read. It's very um, touching graphic. It gets you definitely deep into more into who she was as an individual, as being a relatable person versus us just telling a story or versus you just seeing a character on empire or on the tv it's always easier to talk about something when you see it as just being a character but when you you live it and you read about an actual person going through it it's completely different so yeah so that's why we're you know we're happy to share our story now because the way that everything ended definitely was not what you know we expected and this and this is actually um it's, it's been a year since that book came out. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah. So I think at the end of last year, we actually got um the book was written probably that year after her passing. So this year was our kind of first uh the print copies kind of came out, but the the book was finalized at the end of last year. So I think that's a good point talking because at first in the beginning we really couldn't even speak about suicide. We couldn't even mentioned the word without us breaking down, but we did realize that that is something that is, is real. That is something that happens. And someone that's suicidal really, um, she did have, you know, warning signs. She did express, you know, I don't want to live here anymore. And we just really thought, okay, she's going through her depression. She'll, you know, she'll be good in a few days. So what we definitely want to express is that definitely take it seriously. When someone is kind of expressing any type of, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, or anything kind of related to that, they're definitely kind of creating that plan. And it's really a cry for help. I think at the end, she really lost that hope. And I think definitely you need to listen and kind of definitely kind of seek professional help. Um, unfortunately, you know, we were we were dealing with a doctor that really kind of probably didn't help her feel comfortable into that recovery and the possibility of recovery. So we definitely want to make sure that um, it's not a secret when someone is kind of listening to that and, and having those thoughts of su- suicide. They're actually planning that. 
So um, we actually found a journal after her passing. She had, she had a journal really from when she first got diagnosed, well, or when she first, when we started seeing her uh, manic episodes, probably going into 10 years of this journal. And she really has um, kind of, you know, letters that she would write to herself, feelings. And we were very fortunate to find this, uh, these letters that she left behind because it really, we have a couple of them in the book, but it really expresses the thoughts that someone, you know, that's dealing with any type of mental illness goes through and what she was experiencing, but she was also functioning throughout the years very well. So we definitely just want to express to anyone that's listening, you know, don't be ashamed uh, to open up the, the forum of mental illness is serious. It's, it's, it's something that we're very happy that it's, you're, you're getting to see another type of TV shows and, and TV series. And it's something that if we continue pushing really what it's about and the awareness, it's going to really just help more individuals to find help themselves and find the recovery and be able to not be so ashamed and not kind of keep that a secret because that's part of something that it goes back into their recovery to be able to say, hey, I do have bipolar disorder and there's nothing wrong with that. How would you like for Latrice to be remembered? I mean, I always called her my little big sister because, you know, I was taller than her and everyone usually used to think I was older than her for some reason. But Latrice, oh, she was she was the heart. She was a go getter. She was a hustler. She made everything happen. Like when when I was with her, I felt safe. You know, I never thought that I would have any moment without her. I thought she would be here taking care of me today. I was like, I don't know how I would do it without her taking care of me because she was just that nurturing person. She would be the one to call on. If you needed something, if anything broke down or you just needed help, you needed to talk to, you could call Latrice and she would be that person to be like, all right, I'm there. I'll be there. She was definitely, you know, the go-to all around everything classy real real classy sophisticated person and she had she loved life she loved life well traveled she traveled the world when i look back and i think i'm like you know what looking at everything that she did in her 32 years or 33 years she literally lived life is what i can say I actually um, met her in college. Um, I was pretty, pretty shy myself when I met her. I just thought she was very classy. She was always very positive, very outgoing. So people used to tell me that I'm kind of, um, kind of the go-getter and kind of, you know, kind of get things done and kind of determined. But looking back, I really learned that from her because she really was positive in anything. If we were on a trip and, 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 you know, we needed to get in somewhere or we wanted to do a last minute activity, she was always kind of the leader in that sense. So we definitely want to express that going back into she loved life and she was just very professional and very outgoing and energetic. So I think we all looking back kind of remember that moment from her and that personality. So you never really, we never really interacted in a social setting or anything with, you know, she would be the type that you would meet a complete stranger and she would just be friends with them at the end of the day. So there was always a story behind any of our outings because she was kind of that leader and that role into 
making sure everything was positive and she really made everyone laugh. She always was one of those individuals that made a last impression every time she walked in a room. Man, that's awesome and that's great. And on behalf of of of, of, of Free Lunch Podcast and the listeners, uh, we really like to thank you both for 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 your willingness to to come on our podcast and really to to share um, a story, but also share with us um, uh, a disorder that's rarely rarely talked about. So, um, really really thankful and appreciative that you both were willing to do that for us today. Um, can you let the people know again your website and how they can be in contact with you if um if they want to reach out? Yeah, so the website is um livebeautifulnow.org. So livebeautifulnow.org. We also have the same name for all our social media, our Instagram, our Twitter, and our Facebook is just Live Beautiful Now. If anybody wants to reach out to us, they definitely can go to the website to get the email information. But the email is just info at livebeautifulnow.org. And then we also have our phone number there if anybody wants to reach us directly. So we definitely very appreciative that we're, you know, you guys and, and these type of forums are helping us spread the word on really uh, bipolar disorder and really shed the light on something that's affecting millions of people in the United States. And also the book, Another Day with Her, Lost in a Diagnosis. Yeah, so if you go to our website, you definitely can get our book through any type of um, Amazon, um, Nukes, uh, Kindle books, um, iTunes. It's definitely a downloaded uh, version, and you can also purchase the book for print to be mailed to you. So all the information is on our website. But if you go to um, iTunes, um, Barnes & Noble's website, you just type in Another Day with Her lost in a diagnosis and you can definitely purchase our book through there uh thanks a lot and and to the free lunch podcast listeners um please if you see any symptoms or if you see anything that kind of concerns you whether it's a loved one or even even yourself please seek um treatment and please seek out help and don't be afraid or and reaching out to someone and likewise um if you want to anonymously reach out or reach out to our guest today um, please reach out to them as well. And Free Lunch Podcast listeners, you can always reach us. Uh, we are the Free Lunch Podcast. Um, we're on Instagram as Free Lunch Podcast. Uh, the email is freelunchpodcast at gmail.com, as well as uh, we have the Free Lunch Podcast TV and also on Twitter, Free Lunch Pod C. Um, so if you have any questions, or you want us to reach out to these ladies on your behalf, feel free to reach out to us so we can do that. So, again, ladies, thank you for your time. Uh, we are really appreciative that you all were able to join us tonight. And um, I hope you all have a great evening. Thank you. Thank you so much. I just want to say thank you all for loving me, praying for me. I'm back. Latrice Bell, www.latricebell.com, www.livebeautifulnow.com www.welivebeautiful.org Love you! Mwah.